we remain in a season of Epiphany, that ancient feast of the church that focuses on the revelation of Jesus, the one that we have been waiting for. And the early church focused especially on the first things that we learn about Jesus. His visit from the wise, his baptism by John, and his first miracle at the wedding at Cana. The early church believed that these initial moments revealed much about Jesus, his ministry, his call, his direction, and so too our own. It's especially fitting that we were able to celebrate the baptisms of Ellis and Patrick today on this day because this is the day of the church year that we remember the baptism of Jesus. It is baptism of the Lord's Sunday. I spent some time on Friday with one of the most influential Baptists in my life, the person who's taught me a whole lot about baptism and our historic commitment to it as those who claim the name Baptist, the Baptist historian and friend of this church, Dr. Bill Leonard. And I was recalling with him a baptism that I remembered us witnessing together some years ago when he was the dean of the Wake Forest Divinity School and I was a student in my third year. And we were both part of a pilgrimage to Bucharest, Romania. And on a Sunday evening, as we worshiped with our host congregation, we were seated together for a baptism service. Now in this particular service, the large zealous pastor was enthusiastically going through the motions of baptism, and I noticed that he seemed to be holding the folks under a little bit longer than felt comfortable to me. And I started to observe the reactions of those around I looked down the line of all of those waiting for the water. Is this long line of all ages and different backgrounds, all standing there, uniform in their white robes, but reflecting various reactions and stages of anticipation. Some of them were excited and eager, but others were steadying themselves. They were taking deep breaths. And then I noticed that there was one young woman that was visibly trembling there beneath her robe. Perhaps she was sensing the enormity of this moment in her life. Or perhaps she was embodying something of the significance of the statement that she was about to make to all of those gathered. But to me, she was just worried about being held under the water for too long. And so I nudged Dr. Leonard, my neighbor, eminent Baptist historian who's studied baptism in all of its forms and intentions as much as anyone I know. And I said, I think that woman is terrified. And I expected for him to be amused, to chuckle along with me. But when I looked, his eyes, they were joyful and they were misty. And he said with this knowing smile, Ah, it's still dangerous. Which is easy for us to forget. The risk, the danger of it. Because we have taken baptism inside. We've insulated it from its original setting out in the wilderness, out where the signs along the Jordan River said caution, said enter and swim at your own risk. Because now most of our baptisms occur in a fiberglass tub filled with fresh water. It's all temperature controlled. I've told you before about my first baptism here at First Baptist. It was the baptism of Frieden Mahindu and Kylie Pegram and Grayson Smith 
And on that morning, Marion Smith, our building maintenance supervisor, came to my office early to let me know that there had been an issue with our baptismal water heater. That instead of its usual heat setting, the water would only be lukewarm. Now it's not too cold, he said. It's just that it's not too comfortable. Because we require at least a tolerable, tepid temperature, lest we have to reschedule the event altogether. Well, at my previous church, the water was warm because baptism occurred in a hot tub. Well, not literally a hot tub, but it appeared that way to most. Our Baptist church was located in an old Polish Catholic sanctuary in the middle of Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan. This church had been purchased in the mid-80s and had been modified for the use of a Baptist congregation. So a baptismal pool was added in the back left corner of the sanctuary. And it was this circular tub. It was about eight feet in diameter. Why is there a hot tub in the church? Visitors always asked as they would come in. Now there was actually only one heating jet, just enough to heat up the water for a comfortable baptism. But that didn't stop at least one person, one resident staff member years ago from inviting friends over on Sunday nights after there had been a baptism service. It was outside my watch, I have to say. Well, it was in that little pool that I performed my very first baptism as a pastor. It was for Pedro, a 15-year-old member of our teen center. And he had returned from summer camp, and he felt renewed in his faith. He felt passionate about making a statement about that to others, and so we made plans to wade into the hot tub. This wiry, six-foot-two teenager and me. And we stood before the congregation as I shared my carefully memorized remarks and I readied myself to lower him into the water as I had rehearsed. I held his back. He held my arm. I, I widened my stance. But when I prepared to take the lunge step necessarily to get the leverage, I realized that I hadn't moved far enough into the pool and my left foot hit the steps that led inside. And so rather than lower Pedro gently with my left arm, I had to sort of grab onto his robe and violently plunge him down before lifting him up again. The water splashing out on everyone who had gathered there. My wife Jenny with her head in her hands. But thankfully the silence was broken. And those gracious people, they just exploded into laughter and applause and Pedro smiled and we embraced and hung on to each other in the middle of the pool. But it's still dangerous. It can still find us bubbling and catching our breath. Trembling perhaps at this prospect of the moment, if not the temperature of the water. We who are part of this group that claims the word Baptist as part of our particular Christian identity, we know this particularly well. But we are very far from those early Baptists who knew it even better. In 1646, the Anglican critic Daniel Eatley observed of this emerging group, the Baptists, or the Dippers, as he called them, that were becoming so widespread in England. He said this, they preached and print and practiced their heretical impieties just out in the open. They flock in great multitudes to their Jordans where both sexes enter the river, where they defile our rivers with their impure washings and the waters groan under the load of their blasphemies. Ah. Well, all these years later, none of us have our livelihoods or even reputations on the line for attending this church or practicing this ritual. But we have to remember that we still practice something 
that has been dangerous. And maybe it remains that way, even for us, because in baptism, don't forget, we are buried with Christ in baptism. That's what the book of Colossians says. My friend Greg is a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, and he was once baptizing two teenage brothers, and they were fairly large guys, Jake and Cole. So younger brother Cole went first. He outweighed my friend Greg by at least 100 pounds, and so down he went, buried with Christ, but it was all that Greg could do to raise him up once again into newness of life. And Cole came up, and he was spitting and sputtering. He was staggering. In fact, he stumbled up the three stairs out of the baptistry, trying to get his footing. He looking like a baby giraffe learning to walk. And then he just sort of tripped and collapsed at the top of the stairs in a heap right there in front of his older brother, who was next up for baptism. And so older brother did what older brothers would do. He coolly just stepped right over him, he came into the pool, and as he did, the whole congregation heard him say, Well, Cole's dead. <laughs> but perhaps a theologically poignant statement, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Cole got up eventually, and then he walked into something new. Because to be baptized is not primarily to be in danger of drowning, but it might expose you to something even more risky, and that is to be lifted into a life, into a way, into a path that is not the same. The longtime Presbyterian minister, Reverend John Buchanan, remembered this when he was leading baptism for a little boy. It's not merely baptism by immersion, after all, that can be dangerous. Reverend Buchanan was participating in a blessing and sprinkling of a small child, and he was using the words of the Presbyterian prayer book, you are a child of God, you are sealed by the Spirit, and you belong to Jesus Christ forever. And as he finished this pronouncement, the little boy looked up and he responded as children do, uh-oh which is what it means, immersed in the life of God, hearing the word beloved proclaimed from a sky that is wide open and emerging to walk in a new way, a new life, to live in a way that is different, to follow in the path of Jesus. We can keep our lives just as we know them, you see. Or we can follow Jesus. But we can't do both. And this is what baptism reminds us of. It is to be lifted into the life of Christ who came from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. It's the first thing we learn about Jesus after his birth in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first time we hear him speak in the story after 30 years of relative obscurity in the home of a carpenter in Nazareth. Here he comes to this place, to this moment. This is the chance to declare his priorities, to announce his ministry, and of all places to make his appearance, Jesus chooses a wilderness space out on the edges of it all. And of all waters, he chooses the Jordan River where the water is moving and there are no lifeguards on duty. And of all baptizers, he chooses John, the radical prophet, shouting a message of repentance and change presents that question that many have wrestled with for centuries. Why did Jesus need to do this? Why would the spotless, blameless Son of God need to participate in this ritual of repentance? In Matthew, even John himself wonders aloud about the purpose, the wisdom of this. I should be baptized by you, John says. Why are you coming to me? 
But Jesus is insistent. He says his baptism is a fulfillment of righteousness. His baptism is an obedience to God. And so under he goes and up from the water and raised into a life that follows the echo of the sky. This is my beloved son. And everyone hears it. And he goes from there. And he starts to take that word, that identity, beloved, and he says, this is not just for me, and he passes it around to others, that identity that defines him, and he helps others to see that it is in them as well. Jesus enters those waters of baptism because he is inviting all of us to, in some sense, do the same. And he is reminding us that his ministry is our ministry. His identity is our identity, and that when we enter those waters, we are as close to the grace and the love of God as he was when he was in the waters of the Jordan. We can share in his baptism, as scripture says. This was the theme of the very last church-based sermon preached by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whom we commemorate this weekend. It was preached at Ebenezer Baptist Church on February 4th, 1968. A famous sermon entitled The Drum Major Instinct, where Dr. King encouraged his congregation to seek greatness through service and love and the pursuit of justice and equity for all people. Now his text came from the Gospel of Mark, where James and John They asked to get close to Jesus, to sit at his right hand and his left hand. They wanted the seats of power. And Jesus replies, well, do you know what you are asking? To drink of the cup that I drink of? To share in the baptism that I am baptized with? And so Dr. King goes on to reflect on this baptism of Jesus, into which he invites James, John, all of us, reflecting on how it is costly, how it asks much, how it invites us to come and to give our all to it. And it even leads Dr. King to begin to envision his own funeral and his own death. Because in some sense, even mystically, he knew that it was dangerous for him to follow into this newness of life, this way that was set forth for him by Jesus And we'd much rather stay indoors where the tubs are fiberglass and the temperature is controlled and there are people around keeping watch. We'd much rather move to the center of things where there is power and stability, not out in the wilderness where people survive on whatever they can find and where they call for the world to be more than it is in this moment. Or maybe we'd rather just stay out of the water altogether, stay on the shore where all is safe and secure and nothing more is expected of us. Keep our head above water where there's no risk of losing our breath. Because we know, don't we, what can happen if we share fully in this baptism and identity of Jesus? Dr. King said it this way, Every now and then I think about my own death and I think about my own funeral. Now I don't think of this in a morbid sense. But every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to take too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Well, tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. 
Tell them not to mention that I have all these other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. No, I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and to serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, then on that day say that I was a drum major for justice. He would have turned 94 years old today. But he died two months after that sermon. He was killed while in Memphis organizing a march for garbage workers and demanding for this nation to change. It's still dangerous. And as we mark that danger, we remember also there is promise. The promise that those who have been buried with Christ are raised to walk in the newness of life. The promise that it's all of those baptized wilderness followers of John who become the ones who start to dream of something new and start to give their lives to it. Those who go all the way under the water, trembling and bubbling, only to emerge from those waters and be called to share in all that is ahead for him too. That hot tub in New York City was the site of a few more baptisms during my years as a pastor. There was Jerry, who was very concerned about her hair. There was Tom, who had found a fresh start and wanted to reclaim in a meaningful way the faith of his youth. Thankfully, I eventually got the spacing and the steps down. I was much smoother than that first round, including the baptism that we shared of a woman named Jane. Jane had been a part of that community of faith for years in various ways, coming and going very often because she lived outside. She was without a house, without a home, and most recently had found her place behind a construction site where she was living. We assumed that she struggled with addiction, but we tried to do what we could, and she loved this community of faith. She would show up sometimes almost daily, asking not for anything but to be able to help with one of the community programs at the church. Now, I admit, Jane could take up a lot of time if she got you locked in conversation. And I was not beyond walking briskly by her or even pretending to be occupied with something else when I didn't feel I had the time to give. But thankfully, many of my colleagues and fellow pastors were better ministers to her than I was, and she eventually came to a place where she said she wanted to be baptized. She really felt it. She really meant it. She thought it could make a difference in her life. And so we gathered there in that lukewarm pool with the one jet whirring, the congregation around. Let's go down to the river, the congregation sang, as they gathered around there and they stood by the pool. My remarks were rehearsed and my lunch step was smooth and she came up to applause and great laughter in this embrace of her community. 
And over the years, Jane has remained in touch. She sent me letters periodically, and just recently sent me an email. Just a short note to say hello, it started, and to speak with you on behalf of the better version of myself. And she shares how she's taken some steps towards recovery. She says that she's changed. She shares who she loves and what she's doing with her time. And she shares how her faith in her church had made such a difference. I was dying, she said. But now, now I feel new. Well, why is Jesus baptized to begin with out in the Jordan by John? It's so all of us can see it. And when John puts him under the water, he takes every single one of us under with him. The gangly teenager, the trembling young woman, the stirring generational prophet, the enthusiastic child, the excited sixth grader, and the woman who wonders, can I actually change? Is this actually real? Can I actually be new? And through the power of the Spirit, up we all come. Beneath the sky and into the echo of God's love and a life that is not the same, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. And may it be so, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.